So as we get settled, by all means, please do find your comfortable position just to give a very brief thumbnail sketch of the broader significance of what we're doing here. It can look like simply a relaxation technique. That would be good in and of itself. There are a lot of good relaxation techniques. But this is just the starting of the engine of something that I think has really enormous import, uh, significance for one's own personal well-being, uh, one's unfolding, spiritual awakening, the, the realization of genuine happiness. But also, it's, it's just utterly clear to me that if we, if we human, human beings, if we are to really fathom the nature of the mind, the potentials of minds, the origins and nature and potentials of consciousness, uh, the nature of genuine happiness and its true causes, the nature of genuine unhappiness, which is not, again, in response to unpleasant stimuli, uh, that kind of existential unhappiness, where you're sitting in your room and you just feel ill at ease, and you can't point to anything or anybody out, outside, you just know something's not right. And that you should, we, I think we should all be immensely grateful for that feeling of being ill at ease. Because if we had all of the mental afflictions we have right now, all of the obscurations, barely having even scratched the surface of tapping into the potential of our own minds, and we felt really good about it, we'd have no incentive for pursuing anything other than hedonic well-being. If it felt just fine to have a mind that is so heavily, how do you say, dominated by mental afflictions, if there were no symptoms of that, then we'd have no incentive, really, for pursuing a spiritual path. So for that sense of dukkha, that subtle existential underlying sense of unease, of dissatisfaction, of malaise, of restlessness, a feeling of a lack of fulfillment, that's actually one of our most precious commodities. To grow out of as quickly as possible, but to not to smother, not to kill the messenger. It's really a tragedy when we do that, and it can be done. Drugs are very good for that, all kinds of drugs. Work is very good for that, entertainment is good for that, killing time in meaningless conversation is a very effective anesthetic for smothering the symptoms of the most important message we have. And that is there's that discontent because the mind is in a state of imbalance and the good news is there's something we can do about it. And so how? What is the most rational, reasonable, empirically valuable way to investigate the nature of the mind, its potentials and everything else, is the only means of actually observing mental phenomena directly, and that's first person. For all the glories of modern technology, and I deeply appreciate it, you know, in neuroscience, physics, and so forth and so on, fantastic technology. I love it. I love my iPhone, you know. <laughs> but for all of that, everything we experience subjectively is invisible to every instrument of technology. Absolutely off, off the monitor, invisible. And it looks like it will be for the foreseeable future. But that doesn't mean it's invisible. It is visible through introspection, through directly observing our own mental events, states of consciousness, and so forth. And to do that, and of course, people have been doing this for millennia. And that is introspecting, looking at our own thoughts or emotions, getting in touch with our feelings, and so forth. There's nothing new in that. But where it's been left in the West, since kind of the decline of contemplative inquiry in the West, especially from the 16th century on, this whole theme of introspection, of introspective inquiry, has been absolutely locked into the box of folk, folk psychology. That is, you know, just like folk astronomy is called astrology. It's called stargazing, which is very fun. It's pleasant. You can look at the stars and see all 3,000 of them. And that's it. That's all you get with the naked eye is 3,000 stars with a few planets sprinkled in there. 
you know, it was the technology that broadened that out to being able to observe 100 billion galaxies. And that's within four, four centuries. And it was less than a century ago that in, mo in modern astronomy, it was assumed that we were the only galaxy in town. You know? And it was Hubble about 90 years ago that discovered, oh, there are two, the Andromeda galaxy. Whoops, there are three or four. In the 1920s, there were three or four or five galaxies that were known. And now it's 100 billion. And now we know that there are exoplanets and probably as many exoplanets, that is, planets around other stars, as there are stars themselves. So 100 billion times maybe 100 billion planets, the world got a lot larger. And this is because we had the appropriate technology for moving beyond folk astronomy to a true science of astronomy. So we have learned a lot about outer space and the magnificence of it, the awesome beauty of it. In the meantime, the depths, the multiple dimensions of inner space remain virtually unexplored in our modern world, but not unexplored in Hinduism, Taoism, Buddhism, and other contemplative East and West. So this, these simple little techniques we're doing now, we're cracking the door open to make the body and mind serviceable, that we can go beyond folk psychology, beyond a mere glance, but really deep penetration and investigation in a collective way, a collaborative way, and most importantly, a, a, re, a, a, how do you say, a repeatable way. There's another word for it as well. Um, but that is, we can corroborate each other's experience. You know, it's not just isolated. It's not absolutely subjective. Um, I keep looking for that word. What's the term on the tip of my tongue? Re no, re uh, re replicable. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you so much. Replicable. You can make discoveries through first-person, rigorous, sophisticated observation that are replicable by other well-trained researchers, which is actually how all the sciences work. All the sciences, right? It's not replicable by people who have no training at all. You have to put in your 10 years to become a neuroscientist, what have you, and then it's replicable for those who are efficiently trained, right? And likewise with contemplative. Sufficiently trained, and that does absolutely does not mean brainwashed. It means trained. Rigorous mindfulness, attention skills, introspective skills, and let discoveries manifest. Okay? So it's simply to say that what we're doing here is a big deal. It's really a big deal. Every person here is a replaceable part. You know, this person, if I died, another person can sit on the chair. It's not about this individual versus that individual. But the stakes here are really high, tremendously meaningful. So let's enjoy it. This is, I think, the greatest adventure people can possibly embark upon the greatest expedition. You ready? Okay, let's go. Settling body, speech, and mind in their natural states. Of course, the body and mind are profoundly intertwined, entangled. They are part, part, for the time being, of one integrated system. Our mental states, states of consciousness, are clearly arising independence upon the body. As long as we're embodied, there's no doubt that that is true. So therefore, in order to refine the mind, to develop our attention skills, metacognitive skills, and so forth, we work from the ground up. We begin by settling the body in this natural state 
of dynamic equilibrium that is relaxed, still, and vigilant. Then take up this subtler challenge in order to let your voice, your outer and inner voice, subtle in their natural state of effortless silence. Take up the subtle challenge of allowing your respiration to settle in its natural rhythm, which will vary from one breath to another. We're not trying to have it conform to some preconceived idea of how the breathing should flow. But rather let it flow of its own natural accord, striking its own balance, healing and balancing the body as a whole, and the energy system or the nervous system in the process. Then by setting your aspiration, your motivation toward your most meaningful ideals, your highest aspirations, release for the time being all mundane concerns about the future and the past, setting your mind at ease, and allowing your awareness to settle naturally in stillness in the present moment.
And let the natural clarity of your awareness illuminate the space of the body, right down to the ground, to the sensations representing the earth element, those sensations of firmness and solidity, most evident where your body is in contact with the ground. Once again, the key here is the out-breath of taking advantage of each exhalation as an opportunity to relax more and more deeply, to unwind, to fully release the breath, to release happily every vacant thought, image, or memory that may come to mind. This is an ongoing process of release of the body, of the breath, of thoughts, so that you can naturally settle in a state of quiet, of calm, and of clarity. We are seeking to arouse and sustain a flow of knowing with which we may not be all that familiar. It is a non-conceptual or non-discursive flow of cognizance, of knowing, that does not get embedded within a conceptual framework. And we keep it simple. That the sheer knowing of each in and out breath, whether it is long or short, This is not absolutely non-conceptual, but it's very direct, very perceptual knowing. 
you may find it helpful to enter into a kind of undulation or an oscillation of arousing your attention, focusing closely with each in-breath, and then relaxing deeply with every out-breath. With each arousal of attention, you naturally remedy the attentional imbalance of laxity and dullness. With each release, with the out-breath, you naturally remedy the other imbalance of excitation, agitation, attentional hyperactivity. So with each in and out breath, gradually, gently, balance your attention.
bear in mind the central balancing act of this phase of meditation. The primary emphasis is on deeper and deeper relaxation in body and mind, and the corresponding settling of the respiration into a natural flow as if you were deep asleep. But the balance is explore deeper and deeper dimensions of relaxation without losing the clarity with which you began the session. It's very simple, and that's all there is to this first phase. Let's continue practicing now in silence. 